Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 127, the holiday episode. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to the holiday episode. Oh, I think I kind of missed missed the train on this one. So this episode is airing on December 21st. Uh, it's called the holiday episode. Hanukkah is over. <laughs> it's been over for three or four days. By the time this airs, Christmas is like tomorrow or something. Um, yeah, but you know, it's just felt different this year. It just has, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it's been for you, but you know, I don't know The a lot of the same holiday stuff is still happening, but it just feels a little bit different. And when I reflect on that, I was thinking about that. It doesn't feel bad. It just feels different. And I think that's such a, um, such a great thing to be able to experience that, Things in our life this year, anytime, but so many things this year are different. And to notice how our mind wants to instantly say, the minute it thinks different, it wants to bring in better or worse, good or bad. You know, I want I want it to be like last year again, or I can't wait till next year. It's just how a mind wants to add adjectives and qualify and dramatize everything. But it's also really possible that it can just be different. That's kind of how I feel about this year. It really isn't. uh, I love the holiday season. I love our traditions and what we typically do. And a lot of that is different this year. But, you know, it's just different. So in this episode, I'm going to share two holiday episodes with you. They're both fairly short, so we're going we're gonna to mash them together and put them in here. Uh, the first one is my dysfunctional family bingo episode, which I know a lot of you have probably heard, but if you haven't had the pleasure of hearing about or playing dysfunctional family bingo, you're in for a treat. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a fun game that uh, I think it's just so profound, really. It it allows us to meet something that usually looks so serious and so personal. And our mind is just arguing, it shouldn't be this way. They shouldn't be this way. Things should be different. And half the time we're invisible to that. It just looks so obviously wrong. But by looking at it with fresh eyes, and by it, I mean our dysfunctional family, by looking at it with fresh eyes and playing a game of all things around it, you know, keeping it light and entertaining and fun, it's amazing what opens up. It's amazing. I mean, who knew our family dysfunction didn't have to be so serious? Who knew it wasn't personal and there were other ways to see it? And think about it. If you go visit someone else's family, their dysfunction is so entertaining, isn't it? I mean, really, I love, I used to love like visiting friends, families and stuff. And they'd have these little fights. And oh, I remember some big ones. I remember one of my friends getting like hit by her mom in front of me. And there was just all of this drama and dysfunction, you know, happening all over the place. And it was super entertaining. It was just kind of funny. But for her and for us, when it's our family, oh my gosh, just the opposite. 
you know, it feels so serious and so heavy. And what does that? Of course, a bunch of thinking that we bring that it shouldn't be this way. So I love the love the dysfunctional family bingo game for what it does. You know, it has the ability to take help us see that something that looks so serious and heavy and personal to see it through different eyes. And that, again, doesn't only benefit you in terms of how you see your family. It shows you something about how all of your thinking works. Anything that looks serious and personal isn't. If it can be seen another way, and everything can be, then what is it really? It's nothing. It's inherently neutral, and we just bring our own thinking to it year after year. So that's the first episode you'll hear. Um, The second one, and that one was recorded, I think, two or three years ago, uh, but it's still true. The, The second one you'll hear was recorded last year, and it's around, do we really even like the things we're eating, drinking, and buying? And I love this one too. Again, it it kind of wakes us up to the exact same thing. I love that during the holidays, especially when there's tradition and there's, you know, this is just what we do. This is what we eat on Christmas or Hanukkah or, you know, whatever you celebrate. This is what we, this is who I buy for. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. So much conditioned stuff. And nothing against it. You know, it's, we love tradition. We love to just do the things we do on the holiday. But how amazing to do those wide awake. Not like a little Christmas robot, not like just full of conditioning, just doing it because, but discovering, you know, do I even like this? Do I even want this? To go through those those same beautiful traditions awake, seeing what's going on, knowing that even our preferences, even the things we say we love and hate, there's wiggle room. They're, they're not as solid and personal and stable as they appear. Again, it's not about changing our experience of one day of the year. It's about showing us how our mind works every day of the year. And there's so much freedom in that. So... I'm sorry I'm late. (laughs) Sorry you're getting the holiday episode uh, a little on the late side, but better late than never, I hope. And I really hope that you had and or have uh, a beautiful holiday season, however it looks, however different it may be, and a really happy new year. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Changeable and happy holidays. So we are here as this episode goes live in the thick of it. Maybe it's just starting for you, but we're in kind of mid-December. Maybe you've seen family already. You're about to see people you don't see. You're traveling. All kinds of stuff is going crazy. And I wanted to share with you while you you know, might be traveling to see family as you listen to this even, a game that I used to talk about all the time and I really haven't talked about it much recently. It's a game called Dysfunctional Family Bingo. And it's funny because I I kind of just set it aside and, you know, like I said, I haven't really talked about it much in the last few years. It used to be something I would I would share around the holiday season all the time. And last week we had a, a one of our little school of big change calls with our community. And one of our community members um, has been around my work for a long time. So he's heard me talk about this game for for ages. And he brought it up. And there were a lot of people on the call that had never, that were kind of newer to this work and or newer to me and had never heard me talk about it. And they just loved it. And it's a, it's a funny thing like that. And people hear about this game. 
it lights them up and it's fun and interesting and kind of hopeful. And it was interesting because, you know, I had set it aside for a while, but being reminded, like just seeing the reactions of people on the call and how excited people get about it and how funny it is and how hopeful it seems, it reminded me why I always shared it. Now, to be honest, the only reason I stopped talking about it is because I thought it got kind of boring. Not that the game was boring, not that it wasn't helpful, but I just, I don't know. I just didn't want to be talking about the exact same thing every every November and December. So I figured, all right, I'm going to just let this rest for a while, but people won't let me. And when people got really excited on our call, it reminded me of how impactful talking about this game used to be when I used to do it all the time. So I, um, I would just have people still to this day, you know, for years later, say, oh, that dysfunctional family bingo game. I play that every year and it's, you know, it did so much for me and now my holidays feel different. So it's a, it's a cool thing and definitely worth um, me getting over myself and, and my repetitiveness and dusting it off and kind of bringing it back on out for this, for this holiday season. So the game is called Dysfunctional Family Bingo and you play it just like you play regular bingo, except that in the squares rather than numbers or letters, or I don't even know what's on a regular bingo game. I guess it depends. In the squares of dysfunctional family bingo, you write um, things that your dysfunctional family is likely to do. So things like, you know, Uncle Todd is going to ask me if I'm still single, or Aunt Betty is going to drop the F-bomb, or Aunt Fran is going to make a racial joke that's totally inappropriate or I don't know, whatever, whatever makes you cringe about your family, that's what goes on the board. So it's all the worst stuff. It's all the ways that your family is totally dysfunctional. All the reasons why you don't want to go see them (laughs) this holiday season, you know, all the things that when you get back from seeing them, that you'll be telling your friends at work or your partner or whatever, like, I can't believe she, if there's a, I can't believe she, or I can't believe he said that, or I can't believe they did this or brought that up again. That's what goes on the board. So you create your own bingo board. And I used to do it with my sister on our way to a family member's home who will remain nameless right now. But on the way to this family member's home, we would do it. So you kind of want to play this game with someone who's normal like you, <laughs> unlike the rest of your dysfunctional family. So you and the normal person are onto it. You know, you know the rest of them are crazy and you can't believe that you're in this family. But the two of you, or maybe there are more than two, um, the small group of normal ones are going to create the board together. And so when you're at the family gathering, it's so cool because what happens is instead of being there and like you normally would thinking, oh my gosh, these people and what's going to happen next and what are they going to say? you start to look forward to it. You know what's on your board and you're kind of waiting for it to happen. And you're waiting with anticipation and excitement. And when someone does ask you, when Uncle Todd does say, oh, so you're still single, huh? Or, you know, Aunt Fran makes that insensitive joke or whatever happens, you're kind of secretly like, awesome, I gotta be. (laughs) You know, it's, it's a funny thing. Now, think about this. And why this is helpful. It's just a game. It's just a tool. I mean, it isn't, this isn't like a life-changing thing necessarily. But in terms of the new paradigm that I share here in Changeable, what's going on is that we're taking our experience, 
our preferences. Now, yes, even your judgments of the inappropriateness or dysfunctionalness of your family, that's a thought. That's your opinion. That's your experience of them in that moment. And like any thought and any experience and any part of our psychology, it comes up, it's really real, and then it changes. And what this game allows you to do is maybe for once in a really long time, like take it a little less seriously. It's still happening. You're still noticing it. You're still thinking about it technically, but lightly. And it's kind of funny and it doesn't have the heaviness or the seriousness. And so again, remember thoughts and preferences and opinions and judgments, they all come and go, but they come and go a lot easier when we don't really care about them. You know, when we're laughing about them or when they're, even if they're more neutral to us, that just comes and goes. Like I can go to my husband's family and they do all kinds of crazy dysfunctional things. And that just comes and goes for me because that's, you know, I don't have all the heavy thinking about it. Now for him, it's totally different and vice versa when it's my family. So, you know, it's not that we're thinking about these things or that they are inherently anything. It's that we hold our own experience, often of our family more than a lot of other people, kind of heavily, you know, kind of seriously. It feels personal. And that's always what makes our experience kind of kind of slow down and slog through. We have to slog through it and it's still moving and changing. We couldn't nail it down if we tried and it's not going to be there forever, but it's a lot harder and less fun, you know, and it, it kind of has that feeling of lingering and just sitting there in you. And it's just not as nice when it isn't light and easy. And so being able to literally make a game of this, make a joke of all of these things that in the past have felt so heavy and personal and wrong, it changes everything. Now, are you going to leave and accept them all forever? Who knows? Probably not. But think about it in that moment. I mean, think about your experience, the experience you get to have. Now, when your experience is light and free and flowing and we aren't, when we aren't resisting it and judging it and getting in the way of it, that's exactly what it is. And what that makes room for is new experience. It makes room for, I don't know, maybe humor, compassion, acceptance, understanding. It's like there's just less in the way. And what's natural to all of us, every human on earth, even your dysfunctional family, is that we want to feel good. We want to connect. We, you actually love these people, believe it or not. That's why they get to us so much because we do love them. Other reasons, other psychological reasons, I'm sure. But, you know, we, we care about them. They're, we have our identity and our security kind of wrapped up psychologically in these people, but we also love them. And so we hold them to a different standard. And that's our thinking too. So when we can hold all of this more loosely, all of our thoughts and judgments and opinions, and heck, when we can even laugh about it, Think about what that does. I mean, it makes room for that heavy experience to move right through and something, anything new and fresh to show up. And that in itself is a miracle because that's the thing that really kind of gets to us is when we've been like, you know, just imagine you go visit your your family of origin. I'm guessing this is true for a good number of people, you know, a handful of times a year, maybe, maybe it's even more than than that. But at the holidays, you spend even more time with them and they all get together. And I bet almost every time 
you have a lot of the same thinking and feelings as you did the time before, right? We walk in that house and we feel our stomach clench and we're back to feeling like an insecure 13-year-old and all the issues and insecurities and judgments just come back and they're pretty much the same ones as last year. So for that to be there and wash through you and for you to not fight it and resist it and take it so seriously, for you to be able to hold it even just a tiny bit more loosely makes room, makes way for something brand new and fresh. And that really kind of is a miracle when we're caught up in the same habitual judgments and thinking over and over. And by the way, the same habitual judgments and thinking over and over, like that's our experience of our family. It's not them. It's not what they said, what they did, how they approach it, you know, how they are. It's not, it's none of that. It's that every time we see Uncle Todd, we have a whole thought, feeling, behavior, psychology thing going through us. And we innocently, as humans do, get caught up in that. We take it personally. We take it seriously. We think it's ours. We, our mind tells all kinds of stories about our dysfunctional family. And it's just, you know, it, it just looks so darn real. But it isn't. It's our own habitual thoughts and feelings. So to hold this more lightly and make room for something new to show up is pretty remarkable. And what we all know to be true, especially with family, is as much as they drive us crazy, as dysfunctional as they are, there is this thing about unconditional love that we we seem to manage better with them than with most people. So what I mean by that is you can have both. You can totally love them. You can totally accept them. You can know that you'd do anything for them. And they can drive you nuttier than anyone else has ever been able to drive you. Both are true. It's not one or the other. And again, I think that's a really cool place to be when we're when when our thoughts and feelings and judgments and opinions are are a little looser. There's a little more fuzziness around them and they're kind of flowing through. We get to feel the both. We get to walk away and shake our head and say, oh my gosh, I can't even believe it, but they're my family. You know, you feel into something that's so much bigger than just a painful thought or a painful feeling that looks and feels really true. So I think what dysfunctional family bingo really shows us is that if it's possible to laugh at something that you used to cry about, you know, if it's, if it's possible because it's on your bingo card and you're playing a game, if it's possible to actually look forward to something that you used to dread, what does that tell you about your own thoughts and feelings and opinions? You know, even when it comes to our family, our dysfunctional family, and how sure we are that they're crazy. If you can laugh about something you used to cry about, (laughs) there's a whole lot of subjectivity in there. There's a whole lot of us feeling the way that our mind projects things to us and getting caught up and identified with that. And that means it's a whole lot of not true. You know, there's a lot of room to just hold what creates suffering very loosely and see it change before your eyes. I hope you enjoyed that dysfunctional family bingo episode. Here we go into the next one. Welcome back to Changeable and happy holidays. It's officially happy holidays time. I think it's safe to say. So given that we're going into the holidays um, and I've just recorded this holiday product that I'm going to tell you more about at the end of this episode, um, it's very much on my mind, all the overing 
I'm calling it, all the overing that happens, overeating, overdrinking, overspending, um, over worrying, over stressing, over bleh, lots of overing this time of year. Um, so I want to use that as uh, as a way to talk about something that I've been wanting to talk about here for a while, which is our preferences, these things that we say we like or dislike. It's such a funny thing. It's a it's a weird question, but how do you know that you like the things you say you like and that you dislike the things you say you dislike? Like, how do we know? I mean, on some level, we, we're just kind of moved toward them. We don't really think about it. We just find ourselves approaching things and avoiding things. And, and then our mind says, oh, I like this or I don't like this, which is just interesting in and of itself that it works that way. So it's almost like we're we're kind of lived in a sense. And then our mind concludes like milliseconds later that we must like this thing or we must dislike this thing. But if we dissect that a little bit, just to look at it, just to be curious about it, I think it's so fascinating and it it really um, has the potential to free us from a lot of stuff that that we get confused about, that we wake up and say, wait a minute, I thought I liked this, but why did I over it so much? Like I, I thought I liked wine. I think I like wine, but why did I have to drink a bottle of it? You know, or I, I really thought I, like I had fun doing all that shopping, but now why did I go overboard? You know, when we take a little peek behind the curtain and we see what preferences really are, we see what all this liking and disliking and stuff, kind of how it works a little bit. We get to enjoy it. We get to be human, but we we get to hopefully do so uh, with a little less ease and a little less confusion and regret afterward. So, um, part of part of kind of what we're talking about here, I talked about in episode thirty nine, which was, do you even think that? Now that episode is one of a handful of episodes. Um, here on Changeable that people talk to me about all the time. So if you haven't listened to it, listen. If you did back when it was 39 and brand new, we're on 72. So it's been a while. So maybe listen again. But in that episode, I basically talked about, um, I I used the example of a, a woman with a couple women with eating disorders that I was working with at, a, at one time um, where I could just see so clearly in them that, they were talking about and getting emotional about and getting attached to things that their mind told them on repeat, thinking that those were their thoughts and their preferences and their priorities and like the things that they cared about in life. So for them, it was things around food and weight and judgment and measurement and all of that stuff. And I, I just absolutely knew, absolute, no question in my mind knew, I could see it, that when they went down those paths, that was their mind just going down a habitual path. And then them, whoever them is, <laughs> but the bigger them on, or more thinking on some level saying, oh, I'm, I, this must be important to me. I must feel this way. All I think about is weighing and measuring and judging and evaluating. 
Therefore, this is something I care a lot about. And I could see so clearly for them, no, 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 it doesn't, that's not what's going on here. Your mind is just talking about those things 24-7. And then you are thinking that those are your thoughts and your priorities and things that you care about, but they aren't. That's the piece where there's a space between our mind and us. And they couldn't see that. So they obviously logically concluded that they care about these things. I could see that space for them. And I knew that they didn't care about those things at all. They were just confusing their thinking with them. So in a similar vein, that's, that's I think, what happens to all of us all the time in various ways, but especially what tends to happen around holidays. So around holidays when so much of our our consumption. We'll just keep it at that. It could be anything, but so much of what we eat, drink, and buy is um, is routine, is habitual, is due to tradition, which is routine and habitual, which has nothing to do really with um, how we feel in a given moment. You know, so it's not like true and fresh, and, and I'm not saying it's bad at all. We're just looking at this. It's not true and fresh and like responsive to this moment, it's what you do when you get together with your family for Christmas, or it's just what you eat on Thanksgiving or what you drink on New Year's Eve. You see the difference? And there's gigantic difference. It's not, it's not coming from a deeper present in this moment, fresh place. It's coming from conditioning, and now that doesn't mean we don't enjoy it. And I, and it definitely doesn't mean don't do it. I love tradition. And, and so I'm not at all being like a buzzkill about this stuff. I just think it's so fascinating to be able to kind of look at it and see, huh, just question even, not even see, because it's not that we're going to come up with a, a firm conclusion or that we need to, but to kind of question like, wow, how much of what I'm eating and drinking and buying am I, it feels right to me. Like how much of it is, if I really slow it down and really take a look, is this feel like something that makes sense to me, that my common sense is saying yes to, that, that does feel like a go versus is it something that because I'm in holiday mode or because I'm around all these people and this is just what you do or whatever that might be, that I'm just consuming blindly. And and in so many cases, I mean, again, the holidays are not just to, just to take a look at like, wow, do I even like this? Is this stuff that I'm eating, drinking, buying, what's it do for me? Because, you know, in everything we talk about here on Changeable, it doesn't really do anything for you. It can't make you feel any way. So there's that. <laughs> so that's worth looking at because when we go into anything with all kinds of ideas about, oh, I need this in order to be relaxed or I need this in order to enjoy myself or I need this in order to fit in with everyone else. Well, you know, we're just already kind of limiting ourselves. If we can see, no, none of that does anything for me. I don't need a thing to relax, have a nice holiday, fit in, belong, any of that. That all of those things come from within me and they can't be touched or threatened. They're they're just there. And independently, 
there's a lot of stuff on offer. There's stuff everywhere that I can consume if I want to. Well, that's a very different story. I hope you can kind of feel the difference in that. I don't need it, but I might take it. I might consume it and that's perfectly fine. But knowing that you don't need it already changes the game. So let's look at a few of these um, one by one just to kind of make it a little bit more concrete. And the easiest one and my favorite just because it's so simple and like it's so clear to talk about is drinking. So there's some really great, um, really interesting work by people like Jason Vale and Annie Grace that talk about how alcohol, um, our our preference for alcohol, our liking of it, what we think it does for us, even when we just say, oh, I just like the taste of it, all of that, their, their work has really explored how that has to be conditioning in many ways. Like the those are preferences that in some ways, at least initially, at least initially, were given to us by companies, by advertising, by media, you know, by society. The whole image of, oh, this tastes good, you like it, and it helps you relax, it helps you be more social, it helps you fill in the blank, right? It supposedly does all this stuff for you. But when you really look at it, I mean, have you ever in the history of the universe seen a person take their very first drink of alcohol in their life and enjoy it? I haven't. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if this isn't like a scientific fact or anything, but I don't think it happens. I don't think it happens. I think you see little kids sneak a sip of their parents' drink or teenagers, you know, take a drink and it's horrible. It's disgusting. It's like smoking, right? Like no one takes their first hit of a cigarette and enjoys it, like legitimately enjoys it. They might like it because they look cool or because now they feel like they're fitting in with someone, but this stuff's not good stuff. (laughs) And we even say it's an acquired taste. Yes, you have to numb your mind and get your mind to like, like get your mind to kind of convince you that you like it in order to acquire the taste for it. Now we do, right? It's okay. Like it's just, it's just how it goes. But I think it's, I love how they point this out, you know, and they really are so great at, at busting some of these illusions and myths where it really looks like, you know, we get so convinced that, oh, when I take this drink, I do relax. When I take this drink, I do have more fun. I am more social or whatever, you know, whatever it does for you, whatever your mind tells you it does for you. But to look behind the curtain of that, that again, when you took your very first drink ever in your life, whenever that was, were you instantly relaxed? No. Were you instantly more social? Probably not. And if you were, it was a placebo effect. It was you acting out and and experiencing, again, what advertising and media and your friends and everyone else told you it would be like. Because that substance, alcohol, doesn't actually do that for us. It does over time. We experience, the alcohol, the substance doesn't ever do that for us really, but we experience all that stuff sometimes over time. So you might experience feeling more relaxed and all that, but just because you expect to, you know? So isn't that kind of cool to know, you know, that, wow, like, again, this is just sort of a, 
an easy example to look at. Like, yeah, I don't genuinely, before all my thinking came in and told me that I had now acquired that I was mature enough to like the taste of alcohol, before that, I didn't like the taste of this stuff. It doesn't actually do anything for me outside of all the conditioning and the way that, you know, those companies have kind of brainwashed us to, to expect that it does something for us. So it doesn't seem like it'd be that hard to get back to before all that conditioning. When you see it, it's just like anything, right? When you see, oh, this is an illusion. This is my mind telling me that this is how I feel or this is what I like. But what if it isn't like that? And again, I, I'm not here to like take your anything that feels like joy away from you. So I'm not at all saying drink or don't drink. You do whatever you want to do. But you can drink if that's what you choose to do in a very different way the more you see that it doesn't give you superpowers. And that and to just be curious about how much you really do like it. Because as soon as it looks like, oh, I really like it, I really as soon as it looks like I really need it, well, we're not free anymore. We're not free anymore at that point. And and that's too bad. You know, you can enjoy what you enjoy in life in in a free way or in a less free way. So um, similarly with food, I think it's um, it's very much the same where we get these ideas that certain foods, certain quantities of food, certain types of food do something for us. And especially this time of year, you know, it's like there's so much tradition and ritual. And again, like that's wonderful, wonderful. But you can even go through the tradition and ritual and all that kind of knowing the other side of it. And that's all we're talking about. So when your whole family sits down to drink eggnog or whatever they drink or eat the the Christmas cookies, you know, you don't have to stand up and say, we've been brainwashed into believing that this does something for it. No, just have the cookie, <laughs> have the cookie and enjoy it if you enjoy it. But do so if you want, knowing that, huh, this is interesting. I wonder, I wonder, like, like you, you can almost be in a place where you taste the cookie for real. You know, where you say, huh, do I even like this? Or am I doing it because it's Christmas? Am I doing it because everyone else is? Am I doing it because my mind tells me this makes it the holidays? And to just be curious about that. Again, just do whatever you do. It really doesn't matter what choice you make. So, you know, again, either way, just I'd say just have the cookie. Why not? But but it's so fascinating and it goes way beyond, you know, whether you have a cookie or not to just kind of get curious about what we really enjoy, like what our preferences are and what we think we're getting from this stuff. Given that what we know in a much deeper way is that we aren't actually getting anything from that stuff. We're taking in substances where thought is moving through us and then our mind is telling a story about what we like and what it all means. And that's true every day of the year. So similar with, with buying stuff, that's another big over that I've been talking about a lot lately, buying all that stuff. And, you know, it's just like eating and drinking in a lot of ways where 
it can totally look like it's necessary. It's part of the holidays. We have to do it. Like it's the things we buy are going to make us happier. They're going to make our holidays better in some way. They're going to make other people happier. And what if they just don't? What if you're free? You're totally free to buy whatever the heck you want to buy. But you're free because you know that nothing's really coming from that. Really, you know, nothing's really coming from that. You are able to have any kind of holiday season you you have. You can have anything you have. You can have all the peace that you're looking for, all the connection, all the closeness, all the gratitude, all of that, all the frustration, all the, I can't wait till this is over. I can't wait till I can go home and see these people next year. You have whatever experience you get to have and none of it is going to come from what you eat, drink, or buy. Like, what if that's true? That's kind of fascinating. I mean, that's that's freeing and it's huge to see. And it doesn't take a thing away from you. It allows you to choose anything you want to choose because you don't need any of it. It's subtractive, not additive. You know, adding takes us away from what we're looking for ultimately. Have you often thought, hmm, one of these days, someday, I'm going to check out the little school of big change, see what all the hype is about? Or do you maybe know someone who you've been dying to see them go through the school, your husband or grandpa or niece or neighbor, you just think, oh, they would get so much from it. Well, if so, I want to let you know that from now until December 31st, 2020, pre-enrollment in the March course of the Little School of Big Change is 33% off. So you might know that I never run discounts on the school. Only these last couple weeks of the year, we do this. And I also want to let you know unofficially that it's looking like this March course is the only time I'm going to run the school in 2021. It's because I usually run it in March and in September, October. And in September, October, 2021, I have a new book coming out. So I'm going to want to do some stuff around that, a book club or something fun. So if you've been thinking someday, one of these days, this is time. Or if someone you know, you've been just dying for them to go through it, why not buy it for them? Why not do this for them for the holidays? Again, 33% off just through the new year and quite possibly the only time in 2021. So go to the littleschoolofbigchange.com, check it out. I would absolutely love to watch you wake up to what I've seen so many of the thousands of people who have gone through the school before you wake up to. I would love to guide you through it this March. <laughs>